Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next month's Oscars. I'm Nick Rookrout. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we have a really big contenders episode for you. We are talking about six different categories. So those are three different feature film categories and all of the shorts. So we'll be discussing international feature, documentary feature, animated feature, and then live action, animated, and documentary shorts. I'm really excited to dig into these today. First, it gives us some variety. We're talking about movies we haven't really talked about yet in the Contender series, but also some that we haven't talked about on the show at all yet. And for those of you who've been listening to our Contender series so far, you've known that we've gone pretty much nominee by nominee, digging into the technical components that make those nominees stand out. Today, since we're talking about feature films and short films and not about the specifics of those, we will be discussing each category a bit more collectively today. So very similar to how we did this episode last year. And yeah, I'm excited to talk through these. We have some great nominees, some doozies, very difficult subject matters as well to get into. But I think as a whole, it's going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, it's nice to talk about movies that we really haven't talked about yet or that aren't talked about much in the awards conversation at all. So I know some of these subjects will probably show up at the Oscars, which is always fun to see. But yeah, I'm excited to dive in. Let's get started with International Feature. Our nominees we have are Io Capitano, Perfect Days, Society of the Snow, The Teacher's Lounge, and The Zone of Interest. Our first nominee, Io Capitano, this comes from Italy. It was directed by Matteo Garone, and it is a Homeric fairy tale that tells the adventurous journey of two young boys, Seydoux and Musa, who leave Dakar to reach Europe. Italy typically does really well in this category at the Oscars, so they as a country have 14 wins, and this is their 33rd nomination. Perfect Days is from Japan, the description of the film. Hirayama feels content with his life as a toilet cleaner in Tokyo. Outside of his structured routine, he cherishes music on cassette tapes, reads books, and takes photos. Through unexpected encounters, he reflects on finding beauty in the world. It was directed by Vim Vendors, and Japan also does fairly well at the Oscars. It has five wins in the category with 18 nominations. Next, we have Society of the Snow. This is Spain's entry. This is about a flight of a rugby team that crashes on a glacier in the Andes, and the few passengers who survive the crash find themselves in one of the world's toughest environments to survive. This was directed by J.A. Bayona. And at the Oscars, Spain has four wins, and this is their 21st nomination. Next, we have The Teacher's Lounge from Germany. The description, when one of her students is suspected of theft, teacher Carla Novak decides to get to the bottom of the matter. Caught between her ideals and the school system, the consequences of her actions threaten to break her. It was directed by Ilker Katak, and Germany at the Oscars has three wins and 13 nominations. And lastly, we have The Zone of Interest. This is the United Kingdom's entry. This is about the commandant of Auschwitz, Rudolf Haas, and his wife Hedwig, who strive to build a dream life for their family in a house and garden next to the camp. 
This was directed by Jonathan Glazer. So it's interesting that this is the UK's submission, and this is only their third nomination as a country, and they don't have any wins. So this could be the first one. That is interesting because we have UK features at the Oscars every year. I mean, this year we have Poor Things being the biggest one. We'll see with the BAFTAs later today that are airing as of day of recording what's going to happen there. But the Zone of Interest did really well. I'm glad to see these five. It's a pretty European group, which I was a little saddened to see because we did have a lot of great submissions from around the world. As a whole, though, I really do like these features. I was honestly really surprised by loving some of them. I think in terms of subject matter, it's very apropos of the Academy to nominate these. We have a quieter film, but we have a lot of politically charged, conversation-heavy features that I think because they're nominated are getting the love that they deserve. What do you think about this group of nominees? I completely agree. I do like this group as a whole. I think that one of the things that I was glad to see this year is that the zone of interest in particular was able to get nominations in, you know, key categories like director and adapted screenplay and picture and sound. I'm hopeful that I know that this is made by a British director and it is out of the UK, but that as the Academy becomes more international, we will see films that are international productions or in languages other than English we'll see those embraced in other categories besides just this one. Because if I look at a film like Perfect Days, for instance, Koji Akusho should absolutely be in the best actor lineup for his performance as Hirayama in Society of the Snow. Like, there are great technical components there. So I'm hoping that I think this will continue. But as a group, I do like these. Some definitely more than others. We can get into that. But I think... If I'm thinking of like my biggest surprise here that I really found myself liking outside of my favorite, it was the Teacher's Lounge, Germany's submission. As someone who used to work in a school, I found this very harrowing. And it's just one of those films that it really feels like a taut little thriller. But as it goes on and this teacher continues to make bad decision after bad decision, you get really swept up in it. And it becomes this political thriller in a way that reminded me of some of my favorite like 70s paranoia thrillers. So I really liked that one. And it was one that I hadn't seen until the nominations came out. So I like that too, that sometimes this category and what's nominated can prompt you to see films that you hadn't seen before. I think for me, my biggest one was Perfect Days. It was a really quiet film that when I was at Cannes, all we had At most film festivals, you have a really short summary and one photo, and that's all you have to go off of. And I was very scared that I would not like this movie at all, so I avoided it at all costs. I absolutely love this movie. It was so poignant and touching and heartwarming. It's this meditative film on intention and just making your own happiness and seeing Koji's performance nearly speechless blew me away. I really, really loved it. I also really liked The Teacher's Lounge. It brought me back to watching Uncut Gems and how nervous I felt (laughs) watching that movie. Leonie Banesh as the teacher gives an outstanding performance. When she screams in front of that chalkboard, you feel all of that and you just want to scream with her. 
I loved it. And those kids are maddening. I never want to step foot in a school ever again because that is the scariest place on earth. Literally. And when the parents announce that they have a WhatsApp group <laughs> that is just dedicated to talking about the teachers and the problems in this school. Uh, yeah. Let me tell you, like, that's very real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so hearing that, I was like, okay, I think I made the right decision to leave that part of my life behind as enjoyable as parts of it were. I'm so shocked like, and pleasantly surprised that you love Perfect Days because this is one that I just wasn't sure if you would like or not. Mm-hmm. Just knowing how you felt about Drive My Car, which was like a very slow mm-hmm. film. And I think that in some ways Perfect Days is a movie like that. But I think that what makes it special really is the character of Hirayama and it feeling like this character study. Mm-hmm. And I think in order for it to work, the, the performance there just really has to be transcendent and his is. And I think it's also part of the Vim Vendors magic too that you connect with. I watched Wings of Desire earlier this year and just was very blown away by it. And I can see the connections, I think, between that film and this one. Oh, absolutely. I definitely think that's part of it. Another one that I actually really love too is Io Capitano. One that I didn't want to get in to the category because it's Italy, it's a big country, they've been here before, but I think the story that it's telling is not only really touching and captivating, but it's a beautiful movie. It's about the migration crisis, so there are these two Senegalese boys traveling from there to Europe, looking for a better life, looking to be musicians. I think Aroni just makes the story so personal that people can connect with it and it's not just this big political idea and I think his cinematography is fantastic you have all of these sweeping shots of either the Sahara Desert or the ocean and how scary those places can be and yeah I I was really touched by this as well kind of leaves you with lots of thoughts it's not necessarily an answer to anything but I think telling the story and how he does is really important. Yeah, I completely agree. This was one that I didn't really have any expectations of, but I think going into it, you know, in a similar way that we talked about Koji Yukusho in Perfect Days, this film, I think, has a great debut performance from Seydou Sar, who plays Seydou. And I was really struck by that in watching the film, in addition to everything that you said. It's funny, we've talked about a Matteo Garone film before <laughs> on the Contender series. Do you remember which one? Pinocchio. Yep. <laughs> one of a the many adaptations movie. of Pinocchio <laughs> 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 that we've got into. But I think that this is this is definitely the better Garone film that we've mm-hmm. we've discussed so far in the series. I also wanted to point out that this wasn't nominated, but he made the film Gamora in 2008 which the TV series Gamora that our favorite Italian professor, Dana Renga, loves dearly based on um, the same crime. So I'm definitely going to check that one out as well because from Io Capitano, Garone is a really interesting filmmaker. Yeah, I remember that being in the conversation at the point, and I think we talked about it in our Italian Mafia class, didn't we? We talked about that and the TV series, which he didn't make, but that... Is connected to it. Yeah. And the zone of interest, we've talked about a little bit. We will definitely talk about again in other categories to come, but an important film to say the least. And 
innovative in what it's saying about the Holocaust and the experience. Harrowing, it's been in theaters. I hope you've seen it, but if you haven't, I definitely recommend it, especially in a theater. My God, the sound work is great. We talked about that, yeah, on our previous episode, but ooh, amazing. Yeah, that idea that Glazer said that he created two films, one film that you can see and the other that you can hear, I think is just a genius way to talk about the subject matter. And I've only seen The Zone of Interest twice now. I'm not sure if I'll be able to watch it again. I'm sure I will one day. But to me, the further I get from it, I think it's the best movie of 2023. And I think it's the one that years from now, people will be talking about in the same way that they talk about Kubrick and his films. It just has that experimental quality. But I think that the way that Glazer plays with form is something I've never seen before. And as a whole, like this film for me sticks with you in a way that all of Glazer's films do. But I find it to just be so confident in all of its stylistic flourishes that never feel heavy-handed or too much. They all feel very purposeful in communicating exactly what happened during that time in history and why it's important to pay attention to that, but also that inextricable link between the past and the present and why behaviors like this and violence and hubris are continuing today. So I find it to just be incredibly powerful and I know that feels kind of trite to say but it just it is it's hard to talk about yeah I don't want to give away the ending but that's exactly what happens in the end he really kind of hits you because you as a viewer don't expect to see what he's showing you and how he relates the past to the present so I I really love that what would your write-in vote be for the category My write-in vote would be Fallen Leaves, which was Finland's submission. This was directed by Aki Korismaki. I found it to be this beautiful little romantic comedy that hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting. It is so warm while also being very melancholy. And I love the humor of the film. It is very specific. It's very dry. But I remember just laughing out loud at key moments Honorable mentions for me, Totem, which was Mexico's submission. I was really hoping that that would make it in. I saw that in theaters a few weeks ago when it opened at Film Forum. And my other one, I was going to wait and reveal it to you as a surprise. I haven't even logged it on Letterboxd, is Godland, which was so beautiful. (laughs) Bergman-esque. Would have nominated that in five or six categories. Thank you. You understand my love for it now. (laughs) Yes, I do. I do. I'm glad you watched it. Oh, my God. I love those options. The reason I didn't include that, that's not my answer, is because the Academy would never go for that, which I was holding out some hope that maybe they would. But my answers for like the breaking ice as my write in vote, they would absolutely never go for that. And it's a movie that I really loved. I think it's getting a release, I hope, sometime this year, but probably similar to why they didn't go for The Taste of Things, too. Also a movie I loved. I mean, it's slow and meditative, like Perfect Days, and France is really big at the Oscars and does really well, so it's weird that they didn't go for that, especially with Juliette Binoche. So really moving films that made me cry. Like Society of the Snow, I left the theater sobbing just with that swell of emotion at the end and 
the inspiration and hope for where the boys, the survivors end, my Lord. And a lot of these movies, like some of my write-in votes, did that. My actual write-in vote is Monster, which couldn't even have been Japan's submission because of Perfect Days, but I think Koreeda's tale here is very impressive. The way it plays with time is outstanding in telling these three different perspectives, and it won the Queer Palm and Best Screenplay at Cannes. Did you see this one? I was just going to say, no, I haven't seen it yet. It's been on my list for a really long time, and I need to actually see it. I am mixed on Kareda, which might be a very hot take. I didn't like Broker very much last year. Yeah, it was okay. But I've heard really good things about Monster. I feel like it's more like his movie Shoplifters than Broker, which stumbled in multiple ways, but I think Monster is told in a better way. No, I'm excited to see it. It's also been playing at IFC forever, so I need to just go. I need to set aside Mm -hmm. the time to see it in a theater. And what do you think should win? I think the Zone of Interest should win. It's kind of an easy answer. If Anatomy of a Fall were here, that was my worry is that, oh no, like is the Zone of Interest not going to win? But I'm glad it has a clear shot at that now because of how monumental this film is. What's your answer? You just posed the question that I was thinking of in a way, which is, if Anatomy of a Fall were here, would you vote for the Zone of Interest or would you vote for Anatomy of a Fall? Oh my God. That's something I didn't want to have to do. (laughs) (laughs) I think at this point, it would have to be the Zone of Interest with me hoping that Anatomy of a Fall wins screenplay so that they Mm -hmm. can both win. I think earlier in the season, I would have said Anatomy of a Fall. Just because I love that movie so much, The Zone of Interest is also an incredible movie, but it's harder to touch and revisit than Anatomy of a Fall. That is so hard because the Academy also loves both of them. Yeah, I would go with The Zone of Interest, and that is my answer, just period. I love Anatomy of a Fall too, and I'm I'm hopeful that it can win in other places, namely Best Actress. I think that would be really amazing. I'm wearing a very Sandra sweater today. I just realized (laughs) like I feel like I'm in like (laughs) this remote French town. Anyway, though, I love the zone of interest. And I think it would be one of the best winners we've had in the category in a really long time and in the history of the category. And it's the one place where I feel confident it can win an Oscar. So I'm really hoping that it comes through because it's a perfect film, I think. Mm -hmm. Next up, we have Documentary Feature. Our precursors here were the Cinema Eye Honors and the IDA Awards. Our nominees here are Bobby Wine, The People's President, The Eternal Memory, Four Daughters, To Kill a Tiger, and 20 Days in Mariupol. Our first nominee, Bobby Wine, The People's President. The description of the film, Ugandan opposition leader, activist, and musical star Bobby Wine uses his music to fight the regime led by Museveni, who's led the country for 35 years. The Eternal Memory is about a Chilean couple, Augusto and Paulina, who've been together for 25 years, but Augusto was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease eight years ago, and both of them fear the day he will no longer recognize her. Four Daughters is the story of Ulfa Hamrauni, a Tunisian woman whose two eldest daughters were radicalized by Islamic extremists. To Kill a Tiger is about an Indian farmer named Ranjit who takes on the fight of his life when he demands justice for his 13-year-old daughter 
who is the victim of a brutal gang rape, and his decision to support his daughter is virtually unheard of and his journey unprecedented. And in 20 Days in Mariupol, Russia invades Ukraine, and a team of Ukrainian journalists trapped in the besieged city of Mariupol struggle to continue their work documenting the war's atrocities. I think as a group, these documentaries are very hard-hitting. They're tough watches. The two that really stood above the rest for me personally were Four Daughters and To Kill a Tiger. I think that Four Daughters, which was directed by Coucher Benhania, but Coucher Benhania directed The Man Who Sold His Skin, which was nominated in Mm -hmm. International Feature a few years ago. But I think the way that she tells this story is so unique and powerful. And I found it to be just a very heartbreaking look not just at a larger issue of religious extremism and political extremism, but one that takes those themes and concentrates them onto one family. And that type of storytelling will just always work for me. I think that it's a way to, honestly, in a similar way to Killers of the Flower Moon, taking this huge story and scope, like thinking about a larger topic and then focusing it in on a family that was severely affected by it, that is sometimes the most effective way to tell this story. And I think that's how Four Daughters was for me. And then To Kill a Tiger. I'm so happy that I actually set aside the time to see this because it's hard to find. It's playing in some theaters right now. And if you're lucky, you can find it online. But this broke my heart. I was just completely enraptured by it from the first moments of this dad just fighting for his daughter. And it is so infuriating to hear how the men in this documentary talk about young girls and about backing up men and about the politics of living in a village. And it's so disheartening, but I loved this dad and watching him fight for his daughter and backing her up in what she went through. I feel the same way about this entire category those two stuck out for me the most the others I had trouble I think staying invested or just watching in general but with To Kill a Tiger I was enraptured from those opening lines which tell you not to repost any photos of her of this girl online to keep her from being repeatedly traumatized and I think that's such a touching way to start this documentary seeing the village pretty much root against her was infuriating I think having to understand that people in different countries halfway around the world live an entirely different life and I think that's what all of these whether I like them or not are doing in a really moving an important way and yeah it's seeing these officials seeing the policemen seeing the lawyers just be so incompetent the one scene that really stuck out to me was the lawyer talking and he's like yeah i'm dealing with a lot of these cases and they ask him and you're like okay he's probably dealing with maybe a couple dozen at most and he's like no i have like four to five hundred of these cases similar cases of rape or sexual assault to these underage girls and it is that just makes your heart break and the fact that they have to fight so hard for over a year they were in this trial and it's maddening to see some of these village people just say well you know they had sex and they should just marry And it's a place that I could never possibly be in. But 
it makes you really feel for this girl and what she's going through and being alienated by absolutely everybody from her school and village and it's sad but yeah i very very highly recommend seeing this four daughters as well was one of my highlights from can i think it's just the way in which kowther is telling this narrative documentary innovative mix and how they reenact scenes and how it makes the mother feel again i think the other documentaries here are doing that to a similar extent but these definitely resonated the most to me yeah and i think when we're thinking about the form of the storytelling like for me 20 days in mariapol i understood its purpose in being that way but i think i wanted something a little bit more for me it felt a bit like a political newsreel and i think i just wanted some more creative flourishes there but at the same time i understand that in discussing this conflict sometimes that is just the best way to tell a hard-hitting story So I feel like it was really effective, but for me, it just didn't hit as hard as something like Four Daughters or To Kill a Tiger, which I found a bit more creative. The Eternal Memory really, I think, hit too close to home for me personally. It was such a sad, sad watch and one that I would still recommend. I do think it is a strong entry here and I understand why it's won some awards and has been recognized earlier in the season. But this topic of Alzheimer's and just seeing this couple, it was very overwhelming for me and one of the tougher watches. And just to mention what won at the precursors really quick, because I think that could show where this goes at the Oscars. At the IDA, Bobby Wine won Best Feature. That was their highest category. That was also the only Oscar-nominated feature to be nominated in that category. So keep that in mind. The Eternal Memory won editing. Same thing here. That was the only Oscar-nominated movie in this category. And then Four Daughters won Best Writing. And To Kill a Tiger was also nominated. And then with the Cinema Eye Honors, Four Daughters and The Eternal Memory tied for direction. 20 Days in Mariupol won Best Production. And Bobby Wine won the Audience Prize. And I think with Bobby Wine, with that winning awards at both of those ceremonies, I think it's done pretty well throughout the award season. Bobby Wine was at the Governor's Awards, so I think we have to watch out for this. Also because I saw this on the news last night and I was petrified that Navalny is possibly dead. And that documentary won last year, and the fact that Bobby Wine, this documentary now, is also about fighting an oppressive leadership and what could happen to a country and to him. Seeing what is done to him in this movie is awful. He's constantly imprisoned just for being present and speaking out, and it's truly bone-chilling. So I think if Bobby Wine wins, it's just sending that message again. And I think the message of the film is just so potent. So that's on Disney+. Plus. If you haven't seen it yet, I definitely recommend it. What would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote is not about a particularly hard-hitting topic, but it's one that I really enjoyed when I saw it at New York Film Festival, and that is The Pigeon Tunnel, the Errol Morris documentary about John le Carré. And I was just totally sucked into this and found myself loving the subject and I feel like sometimes that is what I get attached to in documentaries when you can feel like the person who is 
on screen has the upper hand in telling their story. And that's how I felt watching this. And it made me want to read John Le Carré and watch The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. But if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. It's a very fun watch. My writing vote is for Beyond Utopia. I've mentioned this movie before, but it's like some of these other movies in the category, chilling and inspirational and how it's really showing you what life in North Korea is like. And what do you think should win? I think To Kill a Tiger should win. It felt like when it was announced, a totally unexpected nominee. But I think after watching it, it's telling the most important story here. And one that will stick with me for a long time. So I'm hoping it actually has a chance come Oscar ceremony. What do you think should win? I'm with you. To Kill a Tiger. The movie I had no idea if I would be able to see. The one that I really didn't see coming when the nominations came out just really surprised me and made me want to take action in some way. I feel like I care so much about the story that I didn't know about before. And that is the power of documentary. Our next category is animated feature. Our guild we have are the Annie Awards and the Golden Globes, which The Boy and the Heron won there. BAFTA is TBD, and with Critics' Choice, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse won. Our nominees for the category, we have The Boy and the Heron, Elemental, Nimona, Robot Dreams, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The Boy and the Heron is about a young boy named Mahito yearning for his mother, and he adventures into a world shared by the living and the dead. There, death comes to an end, and life finds a new beginning. What a lovely little description. This was directed by the great Hayao Miyazaki. This is his fourth nomination, and he has one win. Our next nominee is Elemental, which follows Ember and Wade in a city where fire, water, earth, and air residents live together. It was directed by Peter Stone, and this is his first nomination. Nimona is about a knight in a futuristic medieval world who is framed for a crime he didn't commit, and the only one who can help him prove his innocence is Nimona, a mischievous teen who happens to be a shape-shifting creature he's sworn to destroy. This was directed by Nick Bruno and Troy Quain, and they are both first-time nominees. Next up is Robot Dreams. The description here, the adventures and misfortunes of dog and robot in New York City during the 1980s. It was directed by Pablo Berger, and this is his first nomination. And lastly, we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This is about Miles Morales, who catapults across the multiverse where... He encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. When the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles must redefine what it means to be a hero. This was directed by Joaquim Dos Santos. This is his first nomination. Kemp Powers. This is his second nomination. And Justin K. Thompson. This is his first nomination. What did you think of this category as a whole? I am mixed on some of them, but I really loved Robot Dreams and The Boy and the Heron. Spider-Man is a great film. The first one won the Oscar. I'm expecting this one too as well, but I think The Boy and the Heron, I know Miyazaki is now working again on another feature, but during the award season, thinking that this could have been his last was such a poignant story for him to finish his career on. And the movie is just tremendous. And I think with each rewatch, you gain something 
new every time. And it's a story that is so universal and so loving and dear to him, but he makes everyone feel that love that he has for his grandson who he wrote the film for. And I think with Robot Dreams, that was another film that really surprised me. I was so connected to this dog and robot being loving companions. Like what? But I think being (laughs) in New York City too also set the stage for a fun adventure. And when they separate and their journey to try to get back to each other, your heart just breaks. And again, September was such a perfect song for that film and yeah it's one that I really loved I also really loved Robot Dreams I was surprised too because I just I had no no expectations for it it was just in my beautiful little neon box set Mm -hmm. that I got and I popped it in and I loved that it was set in the 80s in New York in the East Village and I loved how it didn't have dialogue So you really had to get swept up in the animation. I found the companionship in it just and that theme and seeking that out to be really beautiful. Uh, This and The Boy and the Heron made me really cry. I think they just pack a really powerful punch. And the thing about Robot Dreams was that for me, it was just very inventive and particularly unexpected. For what we've come to see, I think, in some of the robot movies we have, whether they're live action science fiction films or animated ones. It's funny that I loved this one so much. And WALL-E is also one of my favorite Pixar movies, too. Well, it's this movie about loneliness. And I think that is maybe harder to do in a silent film, in a silent animated film. But it's one that is done so well. Yeah, and it's it's never obvious. I think that's what I like about it, and that's what I love about The Boy and the Heron, too. And The Boy and the Heron, when I watched it, reminded me a lot of Petite Mama, the Celine Siama film that I really love, in just thinking about the idea that, like, everyone's mom was just a girl once. That always just kills me when it comes to bringing on the tears. I just think the world of the film is unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I think we can, we've can we come to expect that from Miyazaki. It's like, where is he going to take us next? What new images are we going to see? And this one really blew me away and stuck with me the more and more I started thinking about it. It was, you know, hours and days had passed and I just realized, what what did I just see? This is a movie that I think you can unlock in a certain way if you're a child watching it, but as an adult watching it with time behind you, that's where it becomes really powerful in a new way. And I loved it. And I love when animated films can be really mature, but also can appeal to kids at the same time. And I think that was where Elemental for me and Nimona fell a bit short. I felt those movies trying to reach for themes that adults could connect to, but at the same time feeling oddly childish at certain moments as well that kept me from really connecting with them. For me, Elemental and Nimona felt like children's movies, and sometimes we do see those here too. Whereas I think Robot Dreams, The Boy and the Heron, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse reached for something more that those other two didn't achieve. Yeah, some people really love Nimona, and I was hoping to, but I didn't connect with it as much as I would like. And I think with Pixar, they've just had stronger films before. 
Last year they had Lightyear, which wasn't so great either. I'm hoping Inside Out 2 is a good sequel later this year, but yeah, Elemental did not do it for me. It felt a bit like the Disney equation and fell flat. Spider-Man is pushing animation, and I love this tale. I'm excited for the next one. I didn't necessarily love how it ended on a cliffhanger. TBD on how Dune Part 2 feels, because apparently that's the case here now too, but... Oh my gosh, wait, for Part 2 as well? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, this is new information for me. Sorry, I'm processing this in real time. So I've been told we'll see if Villeneuve is actually going to direct a Dune Messiah film. I'm assuming that's what this trilogy will be, but apparent trilogy, again, I don't know for sure. But it's similar to Spider-Man in the construction and how they're telling Miles' story. I did connect with it. I loved it. I just loved the boy and the heron and robot dreams more that's kind of where i am too i was really floored by the animation in that movie gave it a very positive review and i think it it deserves it i think it it works as like the empire strikes back of this particular spider-man franchise Mm -hmm. love how it's pushing the comic book animation form but those other two they really are just special to me what would your write-in vote be My pick here would be Suzume, which I thought was going to make it in. For me, this year, I didn't actually see, I'm going to admit, I didn't see too many animated films. So this was kind of an easy write-in vote for me. It could really only be this or like Wish or Ruby Gilman, which I wasn't going to select. (laughs) But overall, I think this is a really just adventurous film with a good emotional punch to it as well. So I would have liked to have seen this here, but what about you? It was also hard for me to pick one here. I don't know if it was just an off year, but my write-in vote would either be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem or Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget, which I didn't totally connect to either of them, but I think with what they're doing with animation is great. Mutant Mayhem feels like Spider-Man and what they're doing and melding different types of animation. And then with Chicken Run... We both love stop motion animation, and I loved returning to this world, even though the story kind of just felt like a repeat of the first film. I think these would be better than our other possibilities, which included like the Super Mario Brothers movie, which did really well at the box office, or Trolls, Leo with Adam Sandler, just some other oddball picks. And a lot of those that you listed I haven't seen. So I know I need to watch Leo and I need to watch Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. What do you think should win? I think The Boy and the Heron should win. It's an easy answer for me. I loved this movie. I saw it three times. I love seeing it in IMAX. And I think the colors are just so vivid. And I loved uncovering this tale that he was telling us. What would your answer be? My answer would also be The Boy and the Heron, which, surprise, live announcement, just won the BAFTA for animated feature, which is very exciting. I think this is a tricky movie. I think you really have to give yourself over to it and just let the experience take hold of your heart and mind. And like I mentioned before, it was just so unexpected for me how affected I was by Miyazaki's storytelling and creativity. And let's move into our shorts categories. So we have our live action short films here. The nominees are The After, Invincible, Night of Fortune, Red, White, and Blue, and The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. 
First off, we have the after. The description of the short, after losing a family member to a violent crime, a shattered rideshare driver picks up a passenger who forces him to confront his grief. Invincible recounts the last 48 hours in the life of Marc-Antoine Bernier, a 14-year-old boy on a desperate quest for freedom. In Night of Fortune, Carl arrives at a chapel to say goodbye to his recently deceased wife, but he can't bring himself to open the casket and acknowledge his loss. Red, White, and Blue is about Rachel, who is a single mother living paycheck to paycheck, when an unexpected pregnancy threatens to crumble her already precarious situation, she is forced to cross state lines in search of an abortion. And the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. Henry Sugar, a wealthy man, decides to take on an extraordinary challenge. He wants to master an extraordinary skill in order to cheat at gambling games. So every year, the shorts are... I think just fun to watch as a group. I saw these all in theaters as a collection with my family, which was also something that we did last year. I have to tell you the consensus was that last year's group was better. I don't know if you feel the same, but that was how my family felt when we walked out of the theater. Yeah, this was a tough bunch. I think each of them has their high points and faults. It's really even hard to say which one's my favorite. I don't really have a favorite, but I have one that I put higher on my list of ranking all of the nominees, which has to be the after. Wait, this is your favorite one? Oh. I know. <laughs> which is really only here because of David Oyelowo's performance. This is what really connected me to it, even though the story itself relies on shock value. The other one I think I was highest on was Red, White, and Blue which I think Britney Snow's performance was good. I didn't love the child actor's performance just in her delivery, but I think that deals with shock value in a different way that worked more for me. My problem with the likely winner, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, is that they're like talk acting at you the whole time. I think Mm -hmm. the visual sense of the film is extraordinary in how he uses sets and changes them with you seeing all of those changes happen, that worked for me. But Ralph Fiennes' performance was not for me. I did like Benedict Cumberbatch, though. (laughs) This is so funny because, as usual with the shorts, we're kind of split. I think my favorite is the one you like the least and your favorite is the one I like the least. Um, For me, the after, it just delivers solely on shock value and then just because it's a short it's like that's it Mm -hmm. and for me there wasn't anything else in that story to really make that worth it I think that David Oyelowo's performance though like you said is excellent I feel like I need him in a great feature film to really show that because he's amazing here and I just wish that this didn't just deliver this simple message of you know, don't take things for granted. You never know the life that someone else is leading. Like those were the two points and it just ended very abruptly. And the shock in the movie is shocking. And it really doesn't make sense. Like people in my theater screamed. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what it was about when I watched it. And when it happens, I was like nearly nauseous. It was very vicious. So like warning to everybody out there, But on a very different note, I think the fun fact about the group is that Lily Reinhart was an EP on Invincible. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. A Clevelander. (laughs) So we did have one 
Riverdale connection to this year's nominees. You know, we expected it to be Melton, Mm -hmm. but Lily Reinhart being the one? (laughs) Interesting. I agree with you on Red, White, and Blue, too. This one really surprised me, and its twist that comes up was brutal, but I think really effective and paid off. I think it came at the right moment in the short, and also the short was just the perfect length, Mm -hmm. which I really liked. I felt like it was a really effective story told in the right way. I love the wonderful story of Henry Sugar. I think it might just be, again, like former English teacher, English major here, but I have issues with Wes Anderson movies sometimes because I think his actors have a house style and it's like that very kind of mannered delivery, which is the reason why Gene Hackman in Tenenbaums is my favorite Wes Anderson performance because he does his own thing entirely. But I think it works here because... He's really experimenting with a way to tell a short story, which is basically just reading it and having his actors follow suit. And that I thought was actually really creative. I found myself wanting him to just make more of these types of stories that kids could watch. Like, I I just kept thinking, like, oh, I would have loved this as a kid Mm -hmm. to be able to just slip into this world. And I think as a way to tell a Roald Dahl story. It was really effective and funny, and I just loved the animation and the the details of the production design. I also thought Benedict Cumberbatch was great. I will say it did work a little bit more on me on rewatch. So I'm assuming you think Henry Sugar should win. Am I wrong there? No, you were right. This is my favorite short, and it'll be weird. Like, if this wins, it'll be Wes Anderson's first Oscar. I think for me, I would say Red, White, and Blue. That's a good pick. I think it's an important tale. It's one that is politically driven, but told in a palatable way. And I totally agree about the runtime. It's a perfect story. It really has you on edge the entire time. That's something I both liked and didn't like about it is that like, I felt like they were going to crash when they were driving because she kept looking over and it these moments just felt so high strung, but it's really leading you up to that conclusion. So yeah, I I would say this one over the after. Next up, we have the animated short films. Our nominees here, we have Letter to a Pig, 95 Senses, Our Uniform, Pachyderm, and War is Over, inspired by the music of John and Yoko. Letter to a Pig is about a traumatic memory from a Holocaust survivor that transports a young schoolgirl on an inner journey. 95 Senses is an ode to the body's five senses by a man who doesn't have much time left to enjoy them. Our uniform is about an Iranian girl who unfolds her school memories on the wrinkles and fabrics of her old uniform. In Pachyderm, Louise stays with her grandparents in the countryside for a few days during the summer holidays. And War is Over, inspired by the music of John and Yoko, is set in an alternate World War I reality where a senseless war continues and two soldiers from opposite sides of the conflict play an amusing game of chess. So what do you think of this group of nominees? As a whole, the animation styles, we have a really strong variety of them here, which is what I'm always looking for when I'm looking into animated short films. And I feel like For me, some worked way more than others. And I have to say, every year there's an animated or live action short that I really just, I can't deal with. (laughs) And this year, that short is in this category and it is called War is Over. I had a very hard time with that one, but I think 
On the whole, I found the animation styles to be really interesting. Specifically, Pachyderm, I thought was like a very haunting animation style that they used that worked with the themes of the short. I didn't enjoy watching it. It's a very, again, a very difficult one. But I think the most creative animation here was our uniform. The way that it looks at clothing and the details of the garments to focus on the story that this girl is telling, I found that to be very creative. I think for some of the shorts that can run fairly long, our uniform is the one that I wanted to be longer because it's only six minutes. I felt like it could have been 20 and I still would have enjoyed it as much. I really love this one too. My other favorites, I liked 95 Senses, which is a simple tale, but I think in how it keeps the story going and transforms and in telling you whose story this is and where he is shocked me a little bit, which I liked. And then Letter to a Pig, I think has that haunting animation style, which again is the story about the Holocaust. And we know that the Academy loves these types of stories, really just bringing back to mind Colette, which won a few years ago, Mm -hmm. which I didn't think would win, but one that I really liked. So I think this is telling the story in a different way. It really doesn't even explicitly say it's the Holocaust, but I think gleaning this from the material and how they tell the story is so unique. So that's what I loved here. Yeah, and I also had issues with Wars Over and just (laughs) how manipulative it is. I understand it because of who John and Yoko were, but my god the way this ends i'm just like oh lord (laughs) plus the animation style it's just so weird to have this like 3d really vibrantly colored war piece going on about this pigeon yes the pigeon the pigeon it is to me it looked like a video game like that's what it reminded me of it just reminded me of a video game and if you have not watched this short yet you might be wondering War is over. That's a Christmas song. How does that come about? I'm not going to spoil it for you. But when it happened, I said no out loud, just like that. So what do you think should win? I think 95 Senses should win. This was a really surprising short. I loved the animation style. I was really moved and affected by it and how it used this theme of looking at the five senses The short was less than 15 minutes, and it got into some really difficult themes and made me feel a lot. What about you? I think either Our Uniform or Letter to a Pig should win. Our Uniform, short and sweet. It's telling this, again, important story about an Iranian girl and wearing the hijabs and really wanting to be free of the need to wear them. And with Letter to a Pig, another story... That shows how hurtful kids can be in school. Oh my god, I know. Kids are horrible. That's the theme every year (laughs) of at least a few films. (laughs) Children in schools are horrible. But touching otherwise, and if you can see these, I recommend it, especially those two. And our last category today, we have our documentary shorts. Those nominees are The ABCs of Book Banning, The Barber of Little Rock, Island in Between, The Last Repair Shop, and Nene and Waipo. Our first nominee, the ABCs of book banning, reveals the voices of the impacted parties of books banned from school districts. 
inspiring hope for the future through the profound insights of inquisitive, youthful minds. The Barber of Little Rock explores America's widening racial wealth gap through the story of Arlo Washington, a local barber whose visionary approach to a just economy can be found in the mission of People's Trust, the nonprofit community bank he founded. In Island in Between, S. Leo Chang reflects on his relationship with Taiwan, the United States, and China from the islands of Kinmen, just a few miles from mainland China. The Last Repair Shop tells the story of four unassuming heroes who ensure no student is deprived of the joy of music. It is also a reminder of how music can be the best medicine, stress reliever, and even an escape from poverty. In Nai Nai and Weipo, which is a personal love letter from director Sean Wang to his Nai Nai and Weipo, a grandma super team that dances, stretches, and farts their sorrows away. So what did you think of this collection of shorts? These are always a bit longer than our live action and animated shorts, but they, in a similar way, I feel like to documentary feature, usually try to tackle political themes or hard-hitting topics. Which they are doing here, but I feel like they're usually way more dark. And here they're somewhat on the lighter side. We really don't even have any here that are hard to watch. The one that is maybe the most ominous is the ABCs of book banning, but I think the structure of it just totally falls flat after a few minutes. It's really just saying what books have been banned or restricted and repeating lines of dialogue from them that are potentially the reasons of why they're being removed from schools. And this is a big issue. They do a good job of comparing this to book burning which the Nazis did in World War II, and it made me think of Fahrenheit 451. It's an important topic. I just didn't connect with it well. The other one that, again, is more serious is The Barber of Little Rock, but it's very inspirational to see Arlo's story and what he is building in this community that is otherwise repressing him and making it harder to thrive and survive even. My favorite by a landslide is The Last Repair Shop. I fully connected with this movie. I think being in band growing up and playing the trumpet, so like seeing them fix the broken trumpet was very cool. But I like had to keep myself from crying on the train watching this. I think the ending is just superb. I think the way they tell these stories of these people who are broken like the instruments and built themselves up achieving the American dream just makes you feel so hopeful for the future and what this country can provide which other shorts are unmasking in a way, but I really, really loved it. I like the students that show up, the stories they tell, and just hearing the music at the end is really beautiful. What do you think of the group, and did you have a favorite? I think the group is pretty strong. I enjoyed a number of these. I feel like the Barber of Little Rock, I just loved Arlo Washington as a subject because he had such an inspirational story Getting to see him both like in the nonprofit bank that he started and in the barbershop that he started and just how he talked about his community in Little Rock and the widening gap. I feel like he was the perfect subject to do that. And just, again, that was a very inspirational story. With the ABCs of book banning, I completely agree. I loved hearing from the kids. That was the best part. But then the rest of it, the structure, the form, the way that they tried to tell it, it felt like a presentation that you would see like at a library. It didn't feel like something that was a fully formed documentary short. 
and I wish it would have focused on those kids a bit more. The last repair shop I also liked, but I feel like it would have benefited from more music throughout. I was kind of waiting on that. I wish it would have like actually weaved that into the short as a whole and didn't just kind of leave it until the end. But I figured that this one would be important to you as a member of the band. (laughs) Formerly, I was never in band. So I think it just didn't have as big of an effect on me personally. Island in between, I think on paper, I can see like what they were going for with this one. But it felt very unfocused. I think they needed to commit to one thing that they were trying to say with the short instead of tackling so many different things within a condensed amount of time. And I think that Nene and Weipo is just really cute. Watching these grandmas together and seeing their bond, I was very just touched by that and moved by it. And it felt very different, I think, from a lot of the documentary shorts that we tend to see here. And what do you think should win? Fairly clear, but the last repair shop for me, I hope this wins. Chris Bowers had a documentary short a few years ago, A Concerto is a Conversation, which I wasn't as Mm -hmm. high on. So if there were a short that he would win for, I would want it to be this one. I think Nainai has a very good chance at winning because it's very cute and it feels like a great follow-up to Everything Everywhere. And just the silliness and seeing these grandmas interact with each other. I think it's a very endearing love letter to them. So I enjoyed watching them together. But the last repair shop, definitely for me. Which do you think should win? I'm going to go with Nai Nai and Waipo. I feel like you see that they're thinking about aging and they're thinking about mortality in the documentary. But that doesn't stop them from living their lives fully and really embracing their age and the relationship that they have with each other. And I think even more than that, um, Sean Wong, the filmmaker, you can just see how much he loves his grandmothers Mm -hmm. through this. And that was what really set it apart for me and what made me really enjoy it. Great. So that was our fourth Contenders episode. We talked about a lot of movies today. But I enjoyed watching them. I'm glad we got a chance to see all of them. I would recommend really seeing the shorts in bunches if you can at your local theater. A lot of them, including the features we talked about, are streaming. So definitely look into those. Yeah, I'm glad we got to talk about these today. Next time on Oscar Wilde, we have our final Contenders episode of the season. We will be talking about original screenplay and adapted screenplay best director, and best picture. We're wrapping up the Oscar season. We're only a couple weeks away from the Oscars. It feels crazy. It really does. (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening. Feel free to rate, review, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OscarWildPod. You can find bonus content on our Patreon at patreon.com slash OscarWild and our updated nomination predictions at OscarWild.scorespace.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.